All right, if you brought a Bible, grab it, um, open it, turn it on on your device, follow along on screen in your outline, or as we just talked about, the Central Church app. Um, we're going to look at a few different passages today, but Mark chapter 3, that's where we're going to start. This is the final week of our series called All Aboard. And in this series, we, we have tried to challenge you that the gospel costs nothing, but it demands... Everything. It does. It demands everything. It really, really, really does. It demands that we say, hey, Jesus, all of me for all of you. That I'm going to surrender every area of my life. It demands that we get on board with God's plans for our lives and leave our plans behind. In two weeks, we're starting a brand new series called Habits. Um, and we're going to go through the five points of connection. We're going to do one every week. Um, we're the five points of connection that we have here at Central. Um, last week, though, in this series... We talked about next steps. We talked about how everybody has a next step, and we talked about everybody's next step being their best step. You got to see an example of next steps. We don't always get to see everybody's next step, but we should always celebrate each other's next steps. And that's one of the things that we want to do here at Central is we want to get better and better and better and better at celebrating every next step. It's awesome to celebrate baptisms because we can come here and we can see that. But when somebody steps out of addiction or somebody steps into the beginning of the recovery process, process or somebody steps out of X or somebody steps into doing something great or somebody steps into mission work. We should celebrate that as well, right? And and so those are things that we want to get better at. And so last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about next steps and all of us having that. If you miss any of the messages for the past five weeks, um, jump online and and check those out. Today, um, let me let me set today up like this. Um, I read this uh, a while back and, and I'm not I'm not sure who said it. Um, it's it's attributed probably to a bunch of people, but I really like it. And I want us to walk away with this this morning because this is something that God has been really working on me over and over and over again the past several months. Um, and especially as I've been putting this message together. And it's this. Peace is not the absence of problems, but rather perspective on how the story ends. Like, that's good, isn't it? Like, peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is not, oh, God, please don't let me have any problems. God, please deliver me and don't let me have anything bad happen in my life. And we're going to have problems, right? You know why? Because we live in a fallen world. There's always going to be problems. Oh, sorry for the bad news this morning. There's always going to be problems. You're going to have problems. I'm going to have problems. We're going to have problems. So peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is perspective that at the end of the day, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we understand how the story ends. Right? We understand that Jesus comes back and, and we get to be in heaven and when we die, we go to heaven. I mean, we understand that the end of the story is us standing before our Savior with him saying, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Like we, we understand that. We understand that the, the story ends there for us. And so peace is perspective at the end of the day. We know how the story ends. Now, I know what you're thinking. You might be here and you may be like, well, actually, you know, that doesn't help me right now. Like, it's cool that the end of the story looks like that, but Ryan, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. Like, I'm in the middle of a situation that sucks. I want to know how the story ends in this situation. What do you have to say about that? Okay. I agree. I don't specifically know what you're going through. I don't know what your story is right here, right now at this moment. But here's what I do know. I know who is writing your story. And if we love him, and if we are called according to his purposes, he works out all things for his glory and our good. Amen? 
So at the end of the day, while I might not know the specifics, I do know ultimately for us who are followers of Jesus, I know how our story ends. And at the end of the day, we can have peace because who is in control? Jesus is in control, not us. Now, I'm a list person. Anybody else in here list people? Anybody? Look around. These are the geniuses. I I make lists. All right, and so um, <laughs> that's how I put my messages together. They usually start out with a bunch of lists. And so I made a list uh, last week um, of things that rob us from the peace of God. I had about 12. But because I'm from a Baptist background, I have to get things down to about three or four. And so that's what I did. I narrowed it down, narrowed it down, narrowed it down. And I came up with what I think are my top four. Top four things, I believe, that rob us of the peace of God. And this comes out of the ministry of Jesus. This isn't just stuff from Ryan. Um, This is stuff from the ministry of Jesus. We're going to look at some things Jesus said, some things Jesus did. All right? So the first thing, first things that rob us from the peace of God is a hard heart. Hard heart. Now, let me define hard heart so we kind of have the same, like, working definition to go through this. A hard heart is someone who's unwilling to accept the work of God in and through their life. A hard heart is somebody that knows what God wants to do in them and through them and says no. I know that's nobody in here, right? None of us have ever told God no. Now, I'm going to say this, and you might not like it, but it's true, and I'll back it up with the Bible. The more religious your background, the more likely your heart is to be hard. The more religious your background, the more likely your heart is to be hard. Because in the scriptures, as we read through, especially as we read through the story of Jesus, the people that had the hardest hearts were the most religious people on the planet. L- listen, let's, let's be honest. When it comes to Christianity, to most of us, us, notice I didn't say you, I said us, because I'm included in this. Most of us, we're educated way beyond our level, level of obedience. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't do it. Like there have been many times in my own life, and I'm sure in your life too, that you've had a hard heart simply because you've said no. Hey, this is your next step. This is what I want you to do. No, don't want to do it. Let me show you this. I'll, I'll prove it to you. This is crazy. It's a story in the Gospel of Mark. It starts um, in chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now, normally, reading that verse, we would just skip right over it. But we need to pause and we need to talk about it because we need to understand a couple of things about Jewish culture during this time period. Um, First of all, if you had a physical deformity of any kind, you weren't allowed to go into the synagogue. And so the fact that this man was there with a deformed hand meant most likely that he's trying to hide it. Like he doesn't want anybody to know. He doesn't want anybody to see what's wrong with him because if he showed people what was wrong with him, he wouldn't be accepted by the people in the synagogue. Because if the people in the synagogue discovered that he had a deformed hand, they would have kicked him out of the synagogue. And so most likely, he's standing in the back and he's trying to hide it. You ever try to hide something from somebody? Have you? Have you ever tried to hide somebody? I have. I know other people have. One time, I will never forget this. Um, I, was, I was new to town. It was like the first high school football game that we went to. Like, this is, I will I never, ever, ever forget this. It's crazy. There was a guy, we were walking through the park to try to cross the bridge to get to the other side. And there was a guy um, I walked up to, and he was smoking. All right, now listen, listen, listen. Smoking doesn't send you to hell, all right? Makes you smell like you've been there, but it doesn't, 
But uh, all right, so let, let me preference it with that because I don't want somebody thinking it's sin. All right, but anyway, so he's smoking and he saw me coming and he must have thought like I was going to like immediately judge him or that I had a problem or whatever. And so he, he took a cigarette out and he put it behind his leg and he just stood here like this. It's like Pastor Ryan, what's up? I'm like, I'm good, man, but I think your leg's on fire. Like I don't know, like you can't. You can't hide that, right? Like there are some things that we can't hide, but we try. We try to hide stuff. And, 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 and I understand it. I understand because a lot of us, well, let me, let me say it like this. There are very few people on the planet that know everything about you. And I understand, because the fear is if people really, really, really knew you, if people knew your deepest, darkest secrets, if people really understood everything about you, you would get kicked out, you would get ridiculed, you would get rejected. And and, and so we would rather hide it than face rejection, because rejection, let's be honest, rejection sucks. And so this man is in the synagogue, and I admire his courage because he walked into the synagogue messed up. He walked into the synagogue with an issue. He walked into the synagogue with his, with his sin, with his dysfunction, with his deformed hand. And he's trying to hide. But Jesus noticed. See, here's the thing that we need to understand. We can hide things from other people all day long. But guess who we can't hide it from? Come on, you're in church on Sunday. Everybody knows the answer. Who is it? Jesus, right? So something is going on in this story because Here's this man with this, with this deformed hand, and he's trying to hide. He's not supposed to be there, but something drew him in anyway. And he's looking around, and he's thinking, I don't fit in. He's trying to hide his hand. And verse, verse 2 says this, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies. Let me stop right there. That's a team I don't ever want to be on. How about you? I don't ever want to be on Jesus' enemies. That's a bad team to be on. Lots of stuff we can say here, but we'll skip it. Jesus' enemies watched him closely. You ever thought about this? These guys are so religious. They're so good. They're so perfect that they're watching Jesus to see if Jesus messes up. Anybody see a little bit of irony here? Hey, we're going to watch this Jesus guy. I know he walked on water, but I got a cousin done did the same thing. So I don't know. Like They're watching it. They're watching Jesus to see if Jesus messes up. By the way, religious people do that. Religious people will get so obsessed with you. They watch to see if you mess up. R- religious people will take the Bible and they use it as binoculars to look at other people when they should be turning it around and using it as a mirror to look at their own lives, Right? So, so watch this. If he healed the man's hand, which can we agree that's a miracle, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, that's messed up, but they had a, they had a rule. And actually, it was a commandment, right? One of the Ten Commandments was remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But what they did is they put rules on top of the, the original commandments and then rules on top of those rules and rules on top of those rules and so that you couldn't even get close to breaking the original commandment. And so one of the rules they had was you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. How, how ridiculous is that? You can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. Like somebody can't get better on the Sabbath. Somebody can't get delivered on the Sabbath. Somebody can't get healed 
on the Sabbath. Rules on top of rules. See, the dangerous thing about religious people is, is, is they can't use the Bible to back up what they're thinking and what they're saying and what they're teaching, but they do have a verse. They always have a verse. They can take any verse and they can twist it and they can make it say whatever they want to say. I, I can do that. I can take any verse in the Bible. I can take it out of context. I can twist it. I can record it. I can, I can use it to back up anything that I want to prove. You, you could do it too. It's crazy. And people do it all the time. An example is I had somebody come up to me one time and said, Pastor, I think it's okay to smoke pot. Like, well, technically it's illegal in the state of Iowa, so we probably shouldn't even talk about it. He's like, but, 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 but you don't understand. The Bible says... God made seed-bearing plants, dude. He did. He did. All right, you got me. Pretty sure smoking weed was not the intention of that verse. Move to Colorado and buy some Doritos. Like, I don't... But you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you could take these verses and you could twist them and you can make them say whatever. And so that's what they're doing. And they plan to accuse him. Now watch this, verse three. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. You ever had an oh crap moment? You ever had one of those? Like, that's what's happening right here. You ever had that time when you just got called out? Like when you're riding down the road, the very first time you saw the blue lights in the rear view mirror? You ever had that moment? Or, or, or you're having a party and your parents weren't supposed to come home until Sunday and they came home on Saturday night right in the middle of everything and they're like, Ryan, what are you? Hypothetically, this is a story. <laughs> I don't know, man. These people just showed up. <laughs> they're from Colorado. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My meds are starting to wear off in this service. <laughs> this man is mortified. Think about this. Because he's in the back. He's trying to hide. And, and he doesn't really want anybody to know that he's there. And he's got this deformity. And now everybody looks at him. Everybody sees him because he's been called out. But the thing that we need to understand and we need to remember is Jesus isn't trying to, isn't calling us out to tear us down. He calls us out to build us up. Anytime Jesus is calling us out, Anytime Jesus is calling us to get on board, he's calling us into something greater than we're currently experiencing. Because that's the God we follow. That's the God we serve. That's who he is. That's what he does. Amen? So he calls to forward this guy with this deformed hand, and he says, come up here and stand in front of everyone. And at that moment, that man probably thought, it's over. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm busted. I'm getting kicked out. I'll never get accepted again. We've all felt that way, some way, shape, form, or fashion. And then it says this, then he turned to the critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. They wouldn't answer Jesus. And like, what, what do you say to Jesus anyway, right? Now, we would all agree that laws are good, yes or no? Yes. Like, I'm all in favor of the speed suggestion, or speed limit, <laughs> whatever. I think it's a great recommendation for other people, right? How many of you have ever broken the speed limit? Anybody never broken the speed limit that has a driver's license? I get it. Like, <laughs> anybody never done it? Anybody? Does anybody always drive the speed limit? Anybody in the service? Oh, for, straight up for real? Always. You always drive 
the speed limit. You're in church on a Sunday. Jesus is watching you right now. So is the cop over there in that corner. He's checking. All right. Just use use an example. No one's ever going to raise their hand again. Let's say one of your family members, right? Let's, let's say your wife, one of your kids, or your pastor. Let's say they were cut and bleeding really bad, and you had to get them to the ER. Are you going to break the speed limit to do it, yes or no? No, no, no. This question is just for him. It's getting called out for everybody. You going to break it? Yes! Yes! We're all going to break the speed limit. If we need to break a law... In order to help somebody get some healing, we're going to do it. And we're not going to be like, oh, I'm sorry my behavior offended you, right? We're not going that way. And so Jesus is calling these guys out on their hypocrisy. He's like, hey, is this a day for doing good or doing evil like you're doing by judging this man right here? That's evil. He's calling them out. Don't miss that. And then this happens in verse 5. He looked around at them. What's that next word say? Angrily. It says what? Ang- but this is Jesus. Jesus doesn't get angry. Jesus is rainbows and puppy dogs and buckets of Snickers and balloons, right? No. Jesus gets angry and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Now, just a real quick question before we go on. Here's, here's your group of religious people. Here's the man with the deformed hand. Religious people, man with deformed hand. Who does the Bible say that Jesus is angry with? Who? The religious people and deeply saddened. Why? Because of their hard hearts. They weren't open to the work of God. And here's why. It didn't fit into their system. It didn't. Didn't fit into their system. And religious people don't mind if miracles happen as long as it fits within their system. Because think about this, and think about how sad this is. They would rather the man left exactly how he came. They would rather he left the church service with a deformed hand rather than him walk out being healed. Because in order for him to be healed, they would have had to drop their religious traditions. Hard heart. Hard heart. That's some deep stuff, isn't it? Then he said to the man, look at this. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. Now, now think about this for a second. Think about this. Because we read the Bible, we know what happens, we know the end of the story, we know all of that. But think about, think about you're the man in the situation. You just got called out in front of everybody. And he's asked you to hold out your hand. Think about that. Think about, think about you getting called out right here, right now by Jesus. And you got to stand up here in front of everybody and expose your sin. Dis- expose your dysfunction. Expose what's really deeply going on in your life. What are you thinking in that moment? What are you thinking Jesus is trying to do? I think he's trying to shame you, right? You're thinking Jesus is going to expose me. Jesus is trying to shame me. Jesus is trying to get me kicked out. But once again, Jesus doesn't tear you down. Jesus what? Builds you up. And notice he doesn't say, hey, let me tell you how it's going to happen. Hold out your hand and you're going to be healed. Hold out your hand and great things are going to happen. He just said, hold out your hand. And this man had some faith. And we don't really know the reason other than he didn't have a hard heart. But he had that faith. And he took Jesus at his word. As he held out his hand, Mark says, the man held out his hand and it was restored. Because he didn't have a hard heart. Because he didn't have a hard heart. 
Now, how do religious people respond to the miracle? The next verse, this, this verse, every time I read it, blows my mind. Every single time. No matter how many times I've read it, I always think the exact same thing. How? Because think about this. If this happened in our church, like if this happened right here, like if somebody walked in, deformed hand, and it gets restored and he's healed, would we celebrate that, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. But, but watch, watch how the Pharisees respond. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. What? Are you kidding me? Here's what's crazy. Think about this for a second. In the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is thou shalt not kill. Right? Thou shalt not kill. You should not kill. At once the Pharisees went away and they met with the supporters of Herod to plot how they might killed. You're not even supposed to do that. But don't miss this. Religious people don't mind breaking God's commands when you break theirs. Think about that. Religious people don't mind breaking God's commands when you break theirs, all because of a hard heart. Listen to me. If you have a hard heart, you're going to miss out on the peace of God. The, The most horrible thing about the Pharisees is they completely missed out on the peace of God, which leads to reason number two. The second thing that robs us from the peace of God is control. Control. I've got control issues. I I admit it. Anybody struggle with control issues like me? Anybody? Yeah. The real people with real control issues, you didn't raise your hand. Because you're like, you ain't going to control me into raising my hand. Not going to do it. We talk about this a lot. We talk about traffic, right? You get angry in traffic. Nobody here has ever said, you know what? Today is Sunday. And I haven't been stuck in traffic for a long time. So I'm going to drive to Des Moines and hope that somebody's windshield wiper fell off their car. Because two million people will stop and they will look at the windshield wiper and we will be stuck here for seven hours. Nobody does that, right? I get stuck in traffic. I scream. I cry. I cuss. That was just yesterday. But, (laughs) but, But you know why ultimately we don't like being stuck in traffic? It's very simple. It's when we're reminded that we're not in control. When I get behind checkbook coupon lady at High V, it reminds me I'm not in control. I want to be in control. Ma'am, I will pay for your groceries. I will. Just, just, just bag them up and just go. And I'll just add it onto my budget, but I'm not in control. You know why it's called the terrible twos or threes or fours or whatever, depending on your kid's age? It's because that's the age when we finally understand the world does not revolve around us. Listen, control is the greatest illusion in the universe. You and I have so little control, it's not even funny. Think about it. You didn't control the day you were born. You're not gonna control the day that you die. You didn't control who your parents were. You couldn't control who your brothers and sister are, although I bet some of you wish you could go back and change that. Like, you, you didn't control where you were born. You, you didn't control most of the, all, the life-altering circumstances of your life. You had no control over it. And the two things that we freak out the most about, the future and other people, those are the two things that we have the least amount of control over, right? But religious people, don't, don't miss this. Religious people, following Jesus is about freedom. Religion is about control and manipulation, always. Following Jesus is about freedom. Religion is about control and manipulation. And so Jesus, we did a series on this last year called Grave Robbers. Jesus brings a man named Lazarus back from the dead. Can can we all agree that's a miracle, yes or no? 
Yes, absolutely. And so John chapter 11, Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. And towards the end of that chapter, um, we see how people responded. And look at this, starting in verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, which I, which I can understand. Right? Because at first you're like, I don't, I don't know about this Jesus guy. I, I, I don't know, man. I've, I've been hearing all these things about him. People have been saying he's done this. People have said he's done that. Walked on water, water to the wine, healing people. Like, I hear all that. And I just, I just don't know. I'm not sure. What do you think? I don't, Lazarus, come forth. I'm just not, dang. Cool. Sweet. I'm in. Oh, boy. I believe in him. He is who he says he is, right? Because when you see something like that, it changes you, right? Right? Some of you aren't sure. Watch this, verse 46. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Can you imagine this? They're tattletailing on Jesus. The Pharisees, Jesus brought them many magnificent Like, that's just how I see it in my mind. I don't know. I read the Bible different than most people. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. Throw a party? Throw a celebration? A dead guy came back to life. We should celebrate that, right? Like, this should be awesome. We should be, woo! Uh-uh. We're not going to do that. Watch this. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. But then, and we get down to the real problem starting here, verse 48. If we allow him, which, which by the way, if we allow him, if we allow Jesus, if we don't allow Jesus to do anything, if we allow him, Jesus sitting, sitting there going, I spoke you into existence, fool. You don't allow me to do anything. If we allow, that, this would be the equivalent of your five-year-old going, hey, mom, hey, dad, I maybe might allow you to watch TV tonight. <laughs> I maybe might allow you to eat next week, little boy. You want to play this game for real? Hypothetically speaking, if we allow him to go on like this, Soon everyone will believe in him. In other words, we lose control. Soon everyone will believe in him. And then watch this. This is their greatest fear. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. In other words, if we just take care of this Jesus problem, the Roman army will leave us alone. By the way, in 60 AD, the Roman army did come in and they did destroy the temple and they did destroy the entire city of Jerusalem and Israel ceased to exist as a nation until 1948. Isn't it amazing how little control we have? Seriously. Verse 53. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus's death. Hey guys, we've decided we're going to kill Jesus. Why? He brought a dead guy back from the dead. Good reason. Wait, 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 wait. He brought a dead guy back from the dead and we're going to kill him? Yes. Because relig- don't miss this. Religious people would rather the dead stay dead if raising them from the dead breaks their traditions. Now, here's the thing. If you knew somebody wanted to kill you, are you going to run? I know some people are like, nope, not me. Like, like, like a group of people, like a mob wanted to like kill you. What, what would you do? Like, I'd personally go into hiding. What about you? Not me. I'd go face them. No, you wouldn't. I don't care how many guns you got, Cletus. Like, you're, you're not, man. I mean, if a group of people, if a group of people wanted to kill you, you're not like John Wick, right? Like, you're not going to kill everybody. But you know what Jesus did a few days later? He gets on a donkey and he rides down Main Street, Jerusalem, around all the people who wanted to kill him. You know how you do that? peace of God. 
You're full of the peace of God. Jesus, what are you doing? Oh, I know all these people want to kill me, but here's the thing. I know how the story ends. And because I know how the story ends, I'm not even worried about it. That is the peace of God. That is what we need to, to get into our lives. Hey, I'm not in control. God's in control. Everything's falling apart around me, but I know God's got me. And I know how the story ends. Which leads to number three, misunderstanding. Misunderstanding to rob us from the peace of God. I imagine there are a lot of stories and illustrations we could all use here to talk about how we misunderstood someone or misunderstood a situation. And here's the thing. All of us have done that. All of us have misunderstood other people, but we've also had misunderstandings with God. I've talked to too many people who have walked away or wanted to walk away from God or wanted to walk away from Jesus or wanted to walk away from the church because of a misunderstanding. And listen, I have fallen into this category, so I'm not condemning, I understand. It's like, you know, because of, because of the pain, because of the suffering I've had to endure, how, how can I believe that there's a God? Because God didn't answer the prayer that I wanted him to answer, or God didn't move in the way that I wanted him to move, or, or God's not on board with my plans and doing what I want. Like, like how, how can I believe that he has my best interests in mind? How can I, how can I believe that God loves me? Because we believe that, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And so we believe if bad things are happening to me, that means I'm bad, even though I was trying really hard to be good. And so I must not be good enough. And so why even try? But at the end of the day, listen, Jesus never promised us that we wouldn't have pain and suffering. In fact, he promised us the opposite. He promised that we would. And then he didn't promise to deliver us from it. He promised to deliver us through it. And if you're in the middle of the storm, I know how it ends, not specifically, but Jesus models this for us. And Jesus is, is praying the night that he's betrayed in the garden of Gethsemane. And in Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, then he went a little further and bowed his face down to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Now you don't hear a lot of people talk about this, but what Jesus is saying is, hey, I, I want your will to be done, not mine, if possible possible mine if it's okay like could it possibly be my plan and not yours like I don't want to go through this suffering I've heard preachers say Jesus went to the cross full of joy really how do you explain this verse how do you explain don't let this happen how the joy came after the cross Listen, you have no joy when you're being beaten, stripped naked, shamed, mocked, publicly executed. So Jesus is saying, hey God, if there's another way, I'm in. But God, if this is the only way, I'm on board. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm surrendering my plans for yours. That's peace. That's peace. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you when times are tough. I'm going to trust you when times are good. I'm going to trust you not because I'm not suffering. I'm going to trust you because I am suffering. Because he knew how the story ended. Last but not least is dishonesty. We've been taught for years in the church to be fake. We talk about this a lot. We're taught to be fake. Don't tell, don't tell other people about your problems. Don't talk about your dysfunction. Don't let people know your sin. 
And, 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 and for sure, don't tell them to God. Don't be honest with God. Don't question God. Don't tell God you're mad. Don't tell God you're disappointed. Don't let God know you're upset. Don't let God know you're angry. Don't tell God you hurt. Don't tell God that you feel bad because God doesn't want to hear any of that. That's, that's what we've been told. So we hold it in. And we hold it in and we hold it in. But you know what? Until we get honest with God and until we get honest with each other, there will never be peace. Jesus, when, he, when he's hanging on the cross, Matthew tells us this in Matthew 27, starting in verse 45, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabagantine, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's honesty right there. That is real. That is raw. That is honest. Now, quick question. Was Jesus abandoned by God, yes or no? No. No. He wasn't abandoned by God, but he felt that way. And maybe there are some of you here in this room right now, you have felt abandoned by God, but you've held it in. And you've never told anybody, and you've never talked to God about it. And right here, Jesus is modeling for us. You can be as honest and raw and as real with God as you need to be. And listen to me, until you get honest, you cannot step into healing. Until you admit that there is a problem, no healing can take place in your life. Now, the funny thing about this verse is even in the middle of the storm, I would argue that Jesus had peace because he knew how the story was going to end. Even though he was going through pain and suffering, he knew how the story was going to end. Because think about this for a second. Think about this. He was hanging on a what? On a cross, right? A cross at the time of Jesus was an instrument for public execution. Today, it's a symbol of hope. Jesus made that change. Only Jesus can make that change. And if he did it with a bloodstained cross, he can do it with our messed up, jacked up lives. And so today, I don't know the specifics of your story, but I know how the story ends because I know who's writing it. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, no, ma no matter when it happened, no matter what you're going through, don't give up. Because what the enemy meant for evil, the cross, God used it for good and hope. And if he did it then, he'll do it again. So let's get on board with what he's trying to do in our lives. Let's, let's surrender our hard hearts. Let's surrender our control. Let's, 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 let's get on the same page with God and get rid of our misunderstandings. And let's get real. Let's get honest and let's surrender our, our dishonesty before him.